Who was singing, Lo, he comes with clouds descending in their heads? Yes, aye. We're taking up again the story of the Exodus. We're still, we haven't got too far with the story of the Exodus. The time when God has taken his people out from slavery and he's heading towards this promised land. And last time we looked at it, that must have been about, I don't know, four or five weeks ago. Um, remember we were looking at the people and they were mourning. Remember that? They didn't have any water, so God provided them with water. They put a stick in there and the water became pure. And God is beginning to reveal himself in the miraculous things he does. So far, he's miraculously taken them through the Red Sea. He's miraculously given them fresh water. And you would think that when the next challenge came about, the first place they would go to would be to God. You know, he's taken us through the sea. He's given us this good water. Let's see what we're going to do straight to God. Well, they don't. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Uh, Sort of something that's gone through all the centuries. Grumbling against those who were leading. And if you look at it, it's not just one or two dissatisfied individuals. It's everyone. This is a mega moan. This is the whole assembly moaning against them. And you might think, well, they're maybe justified in their moaning because there was a bit of a problem. But this is how they sort of moan. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Now, just stop there. You know, if God had just killed us back then, you know, that's a big moan. You know, you ever done that? Oh, God, just kill me this week. Fair enough. And that is a big moan. If only we had died with the Lord's hand in Egypt. Then we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out here into the desert to starve the entire assembly to death. <laughs> That's just no true. <laughs> and we do that sometimes to sort of exaggerate the problem. You know, we had all the food we wanted. And we sat, you think they're on holiday. They were slaves. They've forgotten they were slaves. They've forgotten that they took all the straw away. You make bricks without straw now. You're going to work overtime. Same number of bricks. And the way they're talking, oh, it was luxury. We sat around eating all the stuff we wanted. And we sometimes do that. We sort of exaggerate the bad things, either to make the situation worse or most of the time to make ourselves look better. You know, how often have you spoken to someone about a situation and you've made it less real than what it is? You know, it's always more. Oh, you know, they were all against me. That means four. <laughs> you know, and that's what they did back then. But that's not to underestimate the problem. There is a big problem because they've now got no food. You can assume that when they left Egypt, they took some food and drink with them. They've been away now for about six weeks. And all the food and the drink, it seems as though they, they, certainly the food is gone. But Moses says, not only are you questioning our leadership, that's okay. The first fill-in this morning, the people are doubting the wisdom and the provision of God. That's what he said. It's okay to get upset with us. It's okay to moan to us, the leaders. That doesn't matter. But really what you're doing is you're doubting the wisdom and you're doubting God's going to provide. You know, God has brought us out of Egypt. Does he know what he's doing? He said he's going to take us to some kind of promised land. Does he know what it is? Does he know what we're going to encounter on that journey? Does he know what's going to happen? Does he know now we've no foods? Six weeks on. This is the moaning at God. You want to know what the amazing thing is? 
God listens to them. That's filling number two. God listens to our complaints. That's what they do. They're complaining to God, and you think God could say, look, I've brought you out of Egypt. You're out of slavery. Had enough of you already, six weeks. But no, God listens to their complaints. God listens to our complaints. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. And we've got to see that God is so patient with us. Because we're often like these Israelites. You know, we complain when things don't go our way. And like the Israelites have said, we exaggerate how bad things are when they're not. And then we blame others. And sometimes, although we'd never say it, we start to mistrust God. We've got to see this morning, God is patient. Why? Because God's our Father. We're going to go back to the idea of God being our Father. Unlike fathers, he listens to the complaints of his children. Now, those of you who have children, go back to the sort of early days. Remember, they used to complain about, you know, horrendous things like, you know, my dress has got dirty. And you say, oh dear, you know, come on, we'll change it. We can do that. Or, or Jim never spoke to me today at school. Oh dear, oh dear, we say. And we smile. And we sort of think in the back of our minds, huh, what about the political situation in outer Mongolia or whatever? You know nothing about that. But God's a father. God's a loving father. God's the Abba who says, I want to hear even your complaints. I want to hear from you. And even in their complaining and even in their doubt, God reveals to them what he's about to do. They're starving, and he says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people have to go each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. And that's fill in number three. God tests us in the circumstances of life. Got to be ready for that. We don't like it. But as he did back there and as he does now, God tests us in the circumstances of life. Why? Because God is more interested in our character, the way we are, than our comforts. We're not. We like the comforts. We like it as easy as we can get it, you know? You know, if we could pray for the church and the Church of Scotland in five minutes, once a week we do it. If that's the minimum, we'll get by with that. But God says, no, he says, I'm developing your character. The Holy Spirit is in us to conform us to the image of Jesus. And that's what he wants to do. And way back then, when they were just out of slavery, he's got a big job to convert these slaves into disciples. And he says, I'm going to test them. And he's going to do the same with us. And the first test that God gives us and gives them it's the test of believing that God can meet our needs. Now, I spoke about that to the children. Do you believe that? God can meet your needs. God will meet your needs. And there are times when some of us are taken to the wire on that. Really? In my situation, God says he's going to meet my needs. And he is. And he is. And if you are getting a little bit discontented with God, because that's what the Israelites were doing, you've got to see that this morning. The Israelites were beginning to doubt God. 
Could God really bring about what he's promised? He's brought us out of Egypt. That's great. But there's a long road ahead of us. Can God do that? And that's what we ask sometimes. So God's going to test us and God's going to teach us. Because number four says he wants us to rely fully on him and to obey what he says. And this is a hard thing for us. Fully on him and obey what he says. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to do what he reveals in his word. And he wants us to do that sort of fully. Now, we're good at doing half. Good at doing a wee bit. And that's what the Israelites are doing. He says, no, I need the whole lot. Why? Why does God want that? Because I think that is the only way that we can have life in all its fullness. You know, you read in the scriptures about about Jesus saying that he's come to bring life and life in abundance or life in all its fullness. And sometimes you say, I I don't have that. You know, I would love some of that stuff. And that's where it starts. It starts by trusting God fully when he reveals things to you. Now, the problem is when we start reading God's word, sometimes we can read it and and, and, and nothing comes into our head and nothing seems to be prompting. And next minute, a phrase or something hits us and, and really that's God saying, this is your next bit. This is what I want you to do. And that's a test. And God says, are you going to do it or are you not going to do it? Because that's going to be what God's going to say to the church. I think he's going to test us as a church. I think he's going to say, if you are fully behind me, if you're fully going to trust me, then here's what I want you to do. Here's your wee baby steps. And what God has done in the past and what God will do with us, if we take these baby steps, and that's great, he'll give us a bigger one. But if not, it might be a wee while till he gives us another baby step. I'm sort of going off tangent here, but it seems nice. I mean, I can't believe, I mean, how did it take 40 years for them to get to the promised land? It was a bus ride. I mean, really, shouldn't have taken them long. Why did they not enter the promised land so quickly? Because they kept taking them to the promised land and they said, oh, we're not going in. There are giants in there. There's everything in there. We're not going. That's okay. Let's go walkies again. God can take a church walkies for years. God can take this church for a hundred years on a walk. Who's going to be here in a hundred years' time? Anybody? No. That's what he can do. And that's why God says, I want you to fully rely on me now because it's going to be a lot easier because I'm going to give you baby steps and I'm going to see if you're going to take them because God is looking for churches and for individuals. He says, I'll take that step. Whatever it costs, whatever it costs us as individuals, whatever it costs us as a church, we will take that step because we believe it's coming from you. And the Church of Scotland is in such a dire position that there are very few churches that are going to do that. And we've got to decide in the next few months, are we going to take the steps or are we going to just join the crowd? And we know what's happening to the crowd. Nice to get that off my chest. Fullness of life when we rely on him. And the one thing that happens practically is when we do rely on God fully and, 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 and God gives us what he's calling this abundant life, so many of the anxieties, so many of the things that are threatening us now, they just seem to disappear. They just do not seem so high up in the agenda. And that's why he wants us to trust him and that's why he wants to give us this abundant life because he wants to take us to a new level of living with him. How can Paul say this to the Philippian church? And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's one of these Christian phrases that sounds good. 
Put that into your situation. And the test God says this morning is, do you believe that? Do you believe? We start with the glories of Christ. Well, they're pretty big. So God's got all these resources in the glory of Christ. Do you think he's going to use these resources in your situation? And sometimes you say, I don't think he's going to. And he's saying to some folk this morning, I want you to trust that. I want you to, to test me on it. See if I will. You will obey what I am saying to you. You will obey what you read in my word. And I will show you how I will meet your needs. And that's what he did for the Israelites. He promised to provide meal, uh, meat at night, quails, and bread in the morning. Now, quails they knew about. They knew what quails were. But they got a surprise when they got up in the morning. That evening, quails came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew had gone, thin flakes like frost in the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And they call that stuff manna. Now, now I, I love that, that word manna because it's a, it sounds like a holy word. You know, manna from heaven. God sent manna from heaven. And it sounds very holy. You want to know what manna means? What's that? That's what it means. What's that? They got up in the morning and saw this white stuff and they said, what's that? Well, they didn't. They got up in the morning and they saw it and they said, manna. So they said, manna. 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 What's that? And they said, that's your bread. And they must have great ways of cooking it in different ways in their ovens and everything. French bread, knotted bread, plaited bread, whatever they did with it to just make it a wee bit different because they needed bread. And God provided them with this bread. And the great thing is God provided them in abundance. You know, <laughs> I was reading some stuff this week. I had to make me laugh. I should have brought it. About Some folk were saying, this was natural stuff. You know, this, this is naturally occurring. You know, this can happen. You know, for 40 years, yeah. Every day, 40 years, they ate it all up, yeah. I don't have the faith to believe that. I've got the faith to believe that the God of all creation looked after their need and said, I know it's only white stuff. Bake it as you like. Get used to it. Because you're going to eat it for 40 years. And that's what he did. He gave them provision for that time. But... Part of his provision was filling number five. Can you trust God to meet your need daily? That's what he said. He said, I'm going to look after you. Says the same to us. I'm going to meet your needs. But can you trust me daily? And we pray that every week. And for those of you who use the Lord's Prayer in your devotions, you say that every day. Give us this day our daily breads. And the hard thing about that is sometimes we don't believe it. Give us for a long time to come our daily bread. Give us the whole lot. And God says, no, one day at a time. Give us today or give us this day our daily bread. And that's what they had to do. They had to go out there and they had to collect, uh, I think it's something, I think it said, is it in your Bible? I read it at the bottom. Is it 2.7 kilos or something you got? You know, how much is that? That's a bag of sugar in a bit. How much can you make out of that? Somebody tell me. Make some bread. Use 2.7 kilos of flour. That might be quite a lot. We, might, we should try that. So that's what they got. And the great thing was, I loved that. You know how you say, they say, you've got to go out there and, and collect so much of that stuff. And they're all over the field, you know, collecting. I know what folk are doing. And they've got the, I've 
that they're wee bold. I've got my stuff, bulging pockets and everything. And some folk have no idea how to fill it, so they just do half. And then they get home and it's all the same. I love that. God says, you're not going to cheat me. You're not going to cheat me. You all get the same. You know, what do some of them do? I, I don't know. You know, we've had it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now the Sabbath will be the Saturday. Um, you think it's coming? I don't know. A lot of things stop. I'm keeping a wee bit under my bed, just in case, just in case. And they did, and they got up in the morning ready for their toast, and it was toast with maggots. God says, don't mess with me. I'm going to provide for you. But you've got to do, you've got to trust on a day-to-day basis. But I want to end by moving a wee bit further because we'll continue to journey with these folk. But filling number six says there's more to life than manna. And this is what I want to end with because we've sang about it already. And we can't read about God providing bread from heaven for the Israelites without talking about Jesus because Jesus picks up this incident and he gives a wee new twist. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, when you're hungry in the desert, one of the main needs you'll need will be bread. I can see that. I would pray for bread. And I know there's real hunger in Scotland and I know there's poverty in Dumfries and I don't want to deny that. But what I want to say that for most people in Dumfries, their greatest need is not manna. It's not. Their greatest need is Jesus, the bread of life. Their need is greater for that than a loaf. Because most of the folk in Dumfries, not all, but most of them can nip along there to Morrison's or some of those other lesser stores and buy bread. And our need is not for the loaf. Our need is for the bread, Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus sped, fed those 5,000 people, remember the, the feeding of the 5,000, they were amazed absolutely amazed that he could feed this whole crowd with a bunch of fish and some bread. And they were so amazed, they told all their friends and they they sought Jesus out the next day. And their focus was on the bread and not the bread maker. They saw Jesus as useful. That was the one thing. And we've got to watch that as a church. We cannot see Jesus as useful. We don't bring our needs to God just because he can supply what we desire. Because fill in number seven says, Jesus came not to make bread, but to be bread. And that's the big difference. He came not just to fill stomachs, but he came to, to be the bread of life. And like the early followers of Jesus, we can get overexcited about the wrong bread. The manna in the wilderness, that took away natural hunger of the Israelites. But what it couldn't take away was the hunger they had inside. They still had that. They still were slaves. They still had to learn how to live as God wanted them to learn. And they had all the insecurities and all the the, the stuff that was going wrong inside. They might have stuff in their bellies. They didn't have stuff in their hearts. And that's same today for most folk in Dumfries. They might have bellies that are filled, but they've got a hunger in their soul for meaning and for purpose. And we've got to see this morning, manna is not the gospel. Manna is not the gospel. Jesus, the bread of life, is the gospel. The bread that satisfied is the bread that was broken on the cross for us each 
morning we should remember that. That's the bread. The bread when Jesus died for every single one of us. The bread when Jesus died for every single person in Dumfries. And they've got to turn to him. And Jesus, the bread of life, is the only one in whom we can have our sins forgiven. Can't happen any other way. Jesus, the bread of life, is the only one who can give us peace that passes all understanding, even if we were starving. Because Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, when we've tasted that food that he's talking about, when we've experienced the love of Jesus in our hearts, when we can trust him, not just for this life, but for the life to come, then the food that he gives us is eternal. And I want to end by, what does that mean? Is that just one of these theological things? Eternal food, eternal life. I think one thing it does is Jesus, when we accept Jesus as the bread of life, he opens up eternity for us. I think very few people today have an idea of eternity. You know. I've spent last week, and I'm going to spend some of next week, just burying folk. And the one thing that's sort of come across to me in the last week or two is, folk, the majority of people today see death as the end. They see it as a finality. They think that's it finished. And I think when Jesus is talking about, uh, you know, uh, eternal life, the food that he's going to give is going to endure for eternity. I think what he does is he opens up this whole realm of eternity to us. It's a crazy idea. And I'm so sorry to disappoint you, but John Notman will never cease to exist. <laughs> you know, he's eternal. What a thought. I know, I know. It scares me too. But that's what I wanted to give these folk. I don't know how we do it. God's got to call them. And I've been at the creme and I've been at the, the graveside and I've seen these folk mourn and their mourning was because of finality. They said, that's it finished. And I read the gospel to them and it says, that it's not finished. God will open up the whole idea of eternity to us. And that's what he's giving in this idea of eternal food. But the other thing he does is he puts the treasure in our heart of the Holy Spirit. That's the two things I think he talks about when he's talking about the food that endures to eternal life. One is the whole idea of eternity becomes a reality, but the whole idea of who God is and what he wants becomes internal to us. And whether we're working at what we're working at and whatever we're doing in our jobs and in our lives just now, they, they, they take on a new purpose. Not only because we're talking about eternity, but because the Holy Spirit who is in us, he's saying, yeah, I'm talking about eternal things. You know, you are more than your three score year and ten. You're made in the image of God. You're going to be eternal. And I want to shine that through you. We're back to these kids' songs. I wonder if we should sing kids' songs all the time. You know, I've gone more back to that than lo, he comes with clouds descending. You know, and we didn't even sing that. I know, it's in there. That's the eternal thing. Manna and quails, they sustained the Israelites 
throughout their whole journey in the wilderness. But they still had lots to learn about God, about God supplying, about God meeting their needs. But like them, we've got to learn some of those truths again. You know, give us this day our daily bread. That's important. But I think we've got to also remind ourselves each day of the living bread. Jesus, our bread of life. And every day, through the whole of eternity, we remember what he's done for us. Amen.